I haven't bounced any of this off of Mark yet, and uh, so if you see him furiously writing, you'll know what next week is going to be about. <laughs> so uh, we, started, we started coming here in spring, Lisa and I did. And uh, she asked me a question. Oh, come on. Come on, Lord. Help me. She asked, she asked me a question that I didn't answer. And I've kept my silence up till today because I wanted to make sure that my answer was accurate. And it was, you know, I'm opening up my heart here. This is my perspective of the word, of the things that I've read. Um, a lifetime of growing up Catholic and uh, all the things in my relationship with Christ, my individual relationship with Christ, where it started from, and all those things, she asked me this question. She asked me, you know, um, how do I become a Christian? How do I, how do I be a Christian? So I didn't want to just say something without contemplation. So I've prayed on it, I've meditated on it, and I'm going to answer that today. So, but really, what she was asking is not how to be a Christian. She was really asking, what's the purpose of our life? Right? Right? Am I supposed to be a fireman? Am I supposed to be a police officer? Am I supposed to live in Palmer? Am I supposed to move with Scylla? What am I supposed to do with this life? Am I on the right track? You know, and uh, I think about that all the time because I, I envision sitting up at the end of this lifetime on a cloud with Jesus. And we're sitting there side by side and we're looking down and then he shows me the life that I could have if I didn't find him if I didn't love him. And that scares me absolutely to death. Um, fear of a wasted life. Here's a thought. What if everybody you meet gets a vote on your destiny, your eternity? What would that look like? You know, I think, so every time I meet somebody, I'm hoping I'm at my best, you know, with an open heart. So, if I'm on this right path, does it mean that I'm going to be happy? Does it mean that I'm not going to face struggles? Does it mean that um, I'll be satisfied, right? What does this life look like if I'm doing things the way I should be doing and doing the things that um, God wants me to do? So we're going to kind of dive into that a little bit. So what is our purpose? You know, and uh, what's great about this is once I discovered it, is this Jesus tells us this, exactly what we're supposed to do. And he does it very succinctly in three short consecutive sentences. And we're going to dive into that. Before we do, we have to start at the very beginning, Okay. Okay, so in the very beginning, let's go to Genesis 1.27. I need my glasses for this. Is there a way I could do like a hands-free or kind of stick this on a stand? 
Is, do we have a stand for that? We don't? Okay, so it's in my... Okay. So Genesis 1.27, uh, my version is the New Living Translation, so it may be a little bit different from yours. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Okay, no worries. Um, so in his image, what does that mean? What does that mean that we're created in his image? I mean, does, does God look like Mark? Right? Does God look like me? Who does he look like? You know? Um, I think about what that meaning is. And he's given every man the power to decide. Is that the image of God? Um, on my commutes to Anchorage, I always, instead of listening to music, I try to listen to a podcast. And one of the podcasts that I listen to is the TED Talks. And there is a, uh, a nurse on there that worked. She talked. She gave a talk, and she worked at a terminal ward where people were dying. And her talk was so powerful because she talked about how honest people got at the end of their lives when they've got nothing else to fear they got nothing else to accomplish, and they become so honest. And in that honesty, they become so beautiful. So is that the image of God? All right? Every single one of us, for the most part, got two eyes, two ears, a nose, a mouth. But look how differently God made each one of us. Right? Is that the image of God? So... Um, in my honesty, I'm an emotional guy. I can carry a load, but I'm an emotional guy, so I don't think I can get through this without tearing up. But uh, I tend to tear up dang near every uh, Disney movie. So that's my honesty. So what's fascinating in my preparation for this sermon was so healing because it was in my moments of silence that the words came to me. I've sat when I was deployed, sitting out and uh, just taking a break and taking a nap, and just in my peace, I'd wake up and write a complete song. It would just come to me, and I could write a beautiful song in less than about 10 or 15 minutes. And that's when I'm not thinking about anything, that's not when I'm trying to pretend to be something I'm not, and it's that pure, raw, honesty with myself that these things flow through and the genesis of this sermon was in my silence another piece of uh, this genesis is that we were came into this world and we were created to commune with God and he uses that term commune and that means relationship we're here to be for each other and we're here to love one another. Mm -hmm. So, when Lisa got hurt, and she was in the greatest pain, 
enduring 12 hours of pain before going to surgery. Her honesty was incredible. And it was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. So with that focus on relationship and being in commune with one another, as God talks about, what would our worlds look like if we really focused on the relationship versus what we're doing at the time, versus our jobs? If you really put the relationship with your boss first before the job, what would that look like? If you put the relationship with your children first versus trying to get them to do what you want them to do, get them out the door, get their clothes on, get their shoes on, you know, what would that look like if you put that relationship first? Is that the image of God? Okay. So, um, let us pray. Lord, you knew us from the beginning. You knew us before time. And you had each one of us in mind. We are but a speck of sand in the Sahara Desert. And we're just a small piece of your glory. But you know every hair on our head and you know who we are. Give us the courage and lighten the load from our shoulders to try to be somebody we're not. And let's pray that our hearts open up and really become who we're supposed to be in our honesty to fulfill your glory. We are all part of this church, and we're, each one of us is so important to that. It um, allows to be who we're supposed to be so we can fulfill your glory. Amen. So let's get down to it, right? So starting off, we need to be who we are in order to do the things that uh, we're supposed to do. And I love this. So, um, and before I get into this, what I'd like to do is I'd like to everybody just kind of find a little peace, a little quiet. And I'm going to say a word, and I want you to capture what the first thing that comes to mind when you hear me say this. Love. You think of being, feeling warm, somebody hugs you, right? You feel... Um, flowers and hearts everywhere and that comfort. So Jesus specifically talks about this love that we're supposed to have. And let's turn to John 13, 34. So imagine at this point, in Jesus' life, this is after the supper, he knows the authorities are on their way to come and get him. He came into this world as a man, and he's leaving this world as a man. He feels what we feel. He feels pain, you know. Um, he's, he knows what's going to happen to him. They're going to beat him. They're going to put thorns on his head. Those thorns are going to drive deep into his skull. His face is going to be full of blood. They're going to take his hands and nail him to a cross. They're going to beat him and rip his uh, flesh away from the skin. He's going to feel every little bit of that, and he knows that that is coming. He knows that's coming. And, uh, but yet, in this final hour, 
He's loving us. He turns to us. And he knows he's going to be leaving us. And he says, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. So how does Jesus use the term love? What is that term? Is that a noun? Is that based on emotion? Is it how I feel? What is it, Mark? It's a verb. And a verb means what? It implies action. It's got nothing to do with how we feel. It's got nothing to do with emotions or how somebody treats us. He says, love one another. Love one another. That's our purpose in life, is to love one another in every single capacity that we can. Man, I got through that. I went through that pretty quick. So I want to I want to break and kind of tell a little story that um, what it means in my life and and how it's affected me. Um, living up in Fairbanks, the hockey team um, UAF always had hockey players at the, uh, the collegiate level. It's a highly competitive program, and so the athletes actually don't go home for the summers. They stay in the summers and train, but the schools are closed down, so they got nowhere to stay. So we offered up our home to a hockey player, and I treated him like a son. And um, we went, I took uh, him fishing down to Valdez, and then later on his, uh, his dad and a couple of brothers came up, and I took them fishing. I took him on uh, a boat that I rented uh, for two days, and we went silver fishing 12 hours a day on the, on the water. And uh, I sent his dad, a, and they actually, they treated me Instead of uh, like uh, a family member, they treated me like a hired hand. And uh, we limited out both days on silvers, but then they went to the bar and left me and my son Cade, who was about Dax's age at the time, to clean all the fish. And then when I went to ask, you know, to give his dad the bill, which was, you know, I cut it evenly between all grown men there, and uh, his dad kind of stiffed me. And then uh, Keith quickly moved out after that and uh, really didn't say a word, didn't apologize. This is about 2004. And uh, after that, being Fairbanks is such a small town, I saw him often, especially at UAF hockey games, as he became an alumni and became somebody in society. And I never once brought that up. And that's kind of what Mark was talking about. And uh, about 10 years of this, every time I saw him, I was like, hey, Keith, you know, and I was really gracious. And uh, uh, like he was never, never lost that friendship with me. And uh, he called me up about 10 years after that. It just out of the blue, he called me up and said, Matt, can we go to lunch? And I said, absolutely. And he had become the head coach of the uh, Hutchinson High School hockey team at that time. And he had kids that were coming up. And uh, he sat down with me for lunch, and he says, I just want to tell you how thankful I am and how much I appreciate you treating me so well after what I did to you. And I'm so sorry, but you are so gracious, and I appreciate that. And all I did was just love him. You know, I just used that verb. It didn't matter how I felt. Just love one another. 
Mm. So I'd like to take a moment and we talked about you know, being ourselves. Let's pray. Lord, you give us this wonderful gift of the capacity to love. Allow us to just let go of our emotions that lie to us, that tell us things that aren't true, and just focus on what you want us to do for you and to love. Let's focus on the relationships to strengthen those and show our children how we're supposed to live this life. Amen. So let's continue. 1334, continuing on. So now I am giving you a new commandment, love each other, just as I have loved you. Ooh, that's kind of a barb, isn't it? What do you mean, just as I have loved you? How has Jesus loved you? How has he loved you? Unconditionally, right? Okay, I want to take a story that exemplifies this. So let's turn to Matthew 9 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that powerful? That's such a beautiful story, story that just kind of exemplifies how Jesus loves me. And you guys are sitting there going, Matt, what are you talking about? Because when I first read that story, you know, I, it didn't make sense to me. But as I let it kind of think about it, and who was Matthew? Who was Matthew? Matthew was a tax, tax collector. And I tried to think, and tried to uh, come up with a way to show what type of person that would be. And the closest I got was uh, the movie Django with Samuel L. Jackson with uh, Leonardo Caprios. Cap- um, Caprios, uh, I need some water. Um, at his uh, compound, uh, Samuel L. Jackson was the head slave. And he treated his people worse than the white people did on that plantation. That's who Matthew was. He was a Jew that collected taxes for the Romans and uh, uh, probably put the thumb on his people worse than the Romans did. And that's who Matthew was. So how did Jesus love him? Right? He didn't care. Everything that Matthew had ever done was forgiven. There was no emotion with it. There was no history with it. He loved him. And he said, come follow me. So what, what did that look like from Jesus' perspective? It was a verb. It was an action. He loved Matthew. From Matthew's perspective, I'm forgiven. He's willing to accept me regardless of what I've done and who I am, right? But what about the bystander? What did it look like to him, right? 
So, when Jesus says, love one another, is I have loved you, we need to look at every way Jesus had loved us, three ways. We need to look at the recipient's perspective. We need to look at Jesus' perspective. And then we need to look at a bystander's perspective. And that story just, it's short and sweet, and it just hits the point. Hmm. So let me ask you a question. This is a good one. What if Matthew would have said no? What would Jesus have done? He would have kept moving on. Right? So what does that tell us about how we're supposed to love? What is our responsibility to one another? Our responsibility to one another is to introduce Jesus. And then let Jesus take over and pray, right? You know, you talked about in an earlier sermon, you spent so much time with an individual that just left you, right? And all that energy, you know. A friend of mine grew up on the wrong side of the streets. We don't choose how we come into this world, who we come into this world with. And his dad was a drug dealer and a heavy motorcyclist, bike ganger, and um, he grew up rough, going in the wrong direction. And then his, uh, not even his brother, but his stepbrother pulled him out and said, hey, listen, go this way with your life. And, um, and, he, and he listened to him, and he did, and he became super successful. And he's just living a wonderful life with a wonderful family. But unfortunately, that stepbrother, over time, got addicted to heroin and is now in prison. You know, and, he, and he came to me and he said, what should I do? How should, because his brother keeps asking him for money, but his kids need shoes. His kids need to go to sports programs and do those types of things. His responsibility is to his family. So what is his responsibility to his brother? Because he feels so guilty because his brother was there at a critical moment in his life. You know what I told him? I said, love your brother. Just love him. You're not there to support him. That's his decision, what he does with that. But to introduce him to Christ and pray for him and love him. And then just that look on his face, it just, everything got relieved. So... So what do we do with this? What is the purpose of this? To love one another. Let's get back to John 13, 34. And this, it, it's incredible, just these three senses. And this, is all, this is all my faith. Just as I have loved you, you should love one another. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. We belong to Jesus because we love. It's not because we sit out on a corner and preach and poke people in the chest and say, you're a sinner. Jesus loves us, and people will know that you belong to him by the way you love. A beautiful example is that of that is the relationship that Mark and I have. 
Mark was my neighbor for four years before I came to this church. You know, and when I met Lisa, that little boy Dax, my, my kids didn't grow up in the church, and I'm going to pray about that a lot. Uh, but when I met Lisa, and before I got serious and said, okay, this is the direction I want my life to go, I said, I have a couple of conditions that I need you to agree to before we move on in this relationship. And uh, the first one is, is Dax is going to play hockey, right? Because during the winter, the winters are long, he needs to exercise, but yet it's, a, it's an avenue that I could teach him resilience, commitment, uh, focus, and practice, and all those great qualities that it's required to stay strong uh, and, and succeed in this world. The second was, we're going to church. Because I need that boy to have a moral compass other than just me. When I'm not around, I want somebody else talking to him, telling him what's right and what's wrong. You know? And so she agreed to that. And when I decided what church I want to go to, there was no question. I wanted to go where Mark was. You know, I just, every time I saw him, you know, the first time we met, he talks about, you know, he introduced himself and I asked him what he did and he was a pastor and, and uh, he felt like I was kind of, ooh, like that. But no, it wasn't. It was like, oh, awesome. And every time I would see him out in the yard, I would make a point to say, hey, and say hello. Because I, he, I, he, he was attractive. I wanted to be with him, and I wanted to hear his stories, because every time him and I got together, he just made me laugh, because he was so real, right? And it's the way he loved. He didn't judge me. He never asked me to come to church. He never did. Never did. And I'm like, what kind of pastor is this? <laughs> it's not asking me to come to church, but it's... But my biggest fear about being a Christian was my obligation to stand on a corner with a book pointing fingers at somebody, but that's not Jesus. That's not what He wants us to do. He wants us to love, right? And be that shining light, that example. And I haven't really focused on the... I mean, I, my natural tendency is to do that. My whole Air Force career and what I do now uh, in my job is I put that relationship first so people will know that I walk with Christ. Okay? So what's the end game? Right? What's it for? What is the end game? Is it so we have a happy life? Is it so we have an easy life? No, it's not that at all. Does it mean we're not going to suffer? It doesn't. Does God make bad things happen in this world? Going back to the image of God, He has given us the power to decide. And unfortunately, there are people in this world that doesn't decide the best way to do things. 
and all of us have impacts our lives and we have tragedies happen. So what do we do with those tragedies? What's that, Mark? Give them to the Lord. But another thing tragedies does is it gives us some sense of awareness. Gives us strength, and it also, uh, what's, what do you got? Feed my lambs. Yeah. So it gives us in, uh, let's see, let's, let's turn to, what is it, Colossians 3-3-2 and 3-12. Did I say that right, John? Or uh, Mark, I'm sorry. Galatians? Colossians? Colossians? I feel like Donald Trump up here. <laughs> Since God chose you to be the holy people He loves, Colossians 3.12, Since God chose you to be the holy people He loves, you must close yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Amen? So that compassion we talk about, what do we do with that compassion? Right? We help each other through it and we love one another so we're not alone. Because I don't know what it's like to lose a child. But I know some people do. I don't know what it's like not to walk. Some people do. Right? I don't know what it's like to grow up alone or to be lonely, but some people do without parents. And we're supposed to use that passion, that compassion to help one another. So this whole sermon has talked about love and love being a verb. And that's what Jesus' life was all about. But then the Apostle Paul started writing letters after the death of Christ that actually gets in the specifics on how we love. And I love this. You cannot talk about love without getting into 1 Corinthians. Or according to uh, Donald Trump, it'd be 1 Corinthians. So, but before we do that, before we do that, I want to go to Ephesians 5.21. And I love this. Mark talked about um, God having a sense of humor. And I don't know if even Mark has seen it the, the way I see it. So 521. Okay? And further, this is, this is specifically talking about um, relationships with your wife, with your husband. And further, submit to one another out of the reverence for Christ. So, what does submit mean? The term I like to use is honor. Honor your spouse. Think about the one person that you would just love to meet. Somebody famous. And they came into this room in your honor. They came to be with you. What would be, how would you treat that person? Right? If they started speaking, you'd be quiet. 
and you would introduce them to your friends, hey, this is so-and-so, and then you'd step back, right? You'd put them first. Well, that's what submission is. And that's the way we're supposed to treat one another. Okay? And that is it. Submit to one another. Boom. Over and done. But the good Lord knew we needed a little bit more explanation with that. Okay? So let's move on. For wives. Okay, gentlemen. Go ahead and plug your ears because this does not apply to you. This is, it, he is addressing the wives. And what's beautiful about that is that he uses four sentences to tell the women how to submit to their husbands. You know how many sentences he uses for the man to tell them the same thing? Eleven. Isn't that funny? He has to take eleven sentences to tell us guys how to love our wives. So I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but I want to pull the most important piece out of that. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave gave up his life for her. So, the pain that Jesus endured for his church, you should treat your wives that way. You should be willing to die for her and submit to her. And we both submit to one another. What a beautiful thing that is. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 13.11. First, when I did this, I swore that I'd only referenced three sections of the Bible, but I'm just going back and forth, aren't I? (laughs) So 13.11. 1311. Oh, here it is. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Why would God put that in the middle of description, or Apostle Paul put that in there in description of love? How does a child think? And this hit me like a freight train dealing with Dax. What does Dax think about constantly? He thinks about Dax, right? When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. So as you grow and mature, and you're loving one another, your focus is not on you. It's not on how your, your spouse treats you. It's not on what she or he does. You're loving her, you're loving him out of reverence for Christ, not out of reverence for them. And uh, it took me a while to figure out why they would put that in there. So now that we're at 1 Corinthians, let's define love. And this is, we, we can't do this without talking in 1 Corinthians. Are you finding everything, honey? Yeah, right? Okay, so... Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. So when we talk about patience, who is the best teacher of patience? Actually, there's one better than that. Children. 
right? Those children, but, but, they're, but they are also the image of God because they're so honest in what we talked about, right? They're just so beautifully honest. I wish I could be that honest, you know? You know, hey, Matt, why does that guy have such a big nose? You know, I, I don't know. But it's the patience trying to get that little monkey dressed in the morning when you got things to do. It takes patience. Love is patient, right? Love is kind. What is kindness? What is kindness? When you are kind to somebody, what are you doing? It's an action, right? You are leveraging your strength for the benefit of them. Oh, that boy's so kind. He took my suitcase down off the upper rack in the, in the airline, right? It's that you are taking your strengths and your talents for the betterment of somebody else. So, for one another, ye each are individuals and you each have your own strengths. Give it to each other. You know, and that's how you show love for one another. Love always hopes. Or love always trusts. That's a tough one. Isn't it? You know, between what your expectations are and what reality is, you're expecting your wife to do this versus what reality is, what do you put in that gap? Do you put negative thoughts or do you put positive thoughts in that gap? All right? So, and here's the thing about expectations. If you expect something, how can you be gracious for it? Or, right? How can you show gratitude for receiving something you expect? You can't. So don't expect one another. You know, expect anything from one another. You just love, right? Just love. It's, an, it's going back to that verb again. And love always preserves. When you focus on Christ and the way you love, how can you fail? How could it end? Love always prevails.